as we have uh, experienced the loss of a dear, dear brother, my wife's brother, Clifford, but he was my brother too. And uh, even though my last name is Benson, I'm really a Griffin. Um, family has really embraced me and anything that the Griffins are doing, I want to do. And in the midst of all of the busyness of this week, I haven't had, I've not had time to really grieve the loss of our, someone who's very dear to me. And I'm going to miss Clifford, I'm going to miss him. Uh, thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the calls. Uh, thank you for the cards. Uh, the church has ministered to my wife, and I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for that. I want to thank each of you for um, the support that you've given me during this month of uh, pastor's appreciation. I'm grateful for that. And I would not be able to do what I've done without my lovely wife at my side. So I just want to thank the Lord for my wife of 30 years. Amen. Amen. I also want to thank the Lord for giving me and New Direction Bible Fellowship Church the best assistant pastor in the world. There's none better than Pastor Stephen Heyman. Uh, this is their wedding anniversary uh, month. He is deciding to really uh, go in all the way. They are celebrating it for a month. Amen. That means it must be good. Amen. The Bible says that he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. I want to thank the Lord for the elders of this church that help to keep watch over you. Amen. Amen. And the decisions that are made and the, the ease in which we are able to come together and hear the voice of the Lord as, as one. So I'm just grateful for the unity that we have in our leadership. Thank the Lord for the deacons and the ministers. And I uh, just want to, I, I believe that our, our online audience is watching and Elder Gray is probably chasing Sister Gray now, now that he's had that knee replacement surgery. So uh, slow down, brother. And uh, we love you, we miss you. We're so grateful that the, the, the surgery was successful, amen? Amen. I do ask that you would pray for me as I go and share the word of God in Philadelphia this afternoon at Living Waters uh, Baptist Church, a dear friend who has been here, saxophonist, Pastor Daryl Dade. And some of you may know him. And I, I didn't do a good job of uh, sharing about going. And uh, so uh, if you are able to come, they do cook very well. There's going to be food at 2 o'clock. And I, I actually asked them to save some food for us if we get there a little late. So uh, if you're able, join me. Uh, if you're not able, please uh, lift me up in prayer. Continue to uh, pray for our ministry uh, of the first 15 as we are meeting the Lord at 6 o'clock faithfully. Uh, if you have not participated and you've been uh, feeling led to do so, you're welcome, and I assure you that you will not regret your time in the Lord as we go before the throne of grace and prayer. Now, let's all stand together as we turn our attention to the book of Acts. 
We'll continue our series of messages entitled The Blueprint, The Blueprint, a portrait of the church through the eyes, the portrait of the New Testament church through the eyes of the book of Acts, a portrait of the New Testament church through the eyes of the book of Acts. Beginning in verse 4, we read, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Let us pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we are humbled by the fact that you hear us when we pray. God, take this word that you have prepared for your people today. Bless and strengthen. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are so grateful. We want to lift up Sister Lyons, who is under the weather today. Uh, we definitely are missing her. Deacon O'Neill is here in the house. Praise the Lord. Amen. And his lovely wife. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm looking forward to uh, Deacon McNeil and his uh, Deacon McBride and the others to inch up closer as they become comfortable, more comfortable. They're holding up the rear right now, but we want them to be right in the middle. I want my amen corner close by the fire. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm grateful that God has allowed me to be the shepherd of this house. I'm so blessed. Uh, as a teenager, one of my first job opportunities was to work at Women's Medical Hospital in Philadelphia. That hospital's no longer open, but that was uh, the second job I had. And I worked in the recovery room as an orderly. And my job was, was to keep the beds clean and made, to make sure that the doctors had the supplies that they needed, and when the person who had surgery was awakened sufficiently enough, I would escort them to their rooms in the bed that I had made. One of the privileges that I experienced as an orderly is having access to the operating room. I could actually watch an operation being performed through an observation glass, and I found that fascinating. I became so interested in it that I considered becoming a particular type of doctor. I wanted to be a pathologist. Because not everybody that had surgery survived it. So instead of taking them to their rooms, it was my job to take them to the morgue. And if they died under suspicious circumstances or died in the hospital, they would automatically be assigned to a pathologist whose job was to do an autopsy 
on the body to determine the time of death, confirm the time of death because they were pronounced either in the recovery room or in the operation room, and the cause of death. Now, the findings of the pathologist were very important because the cause of death could be useful for doctors prescribing to the family of the decedent because now they could know that these are particular characteristics that are unique to a family and uh, it was also useful for families to share their history so that the doctors could uh, match up circumstances that could become terminal. Now the first and last autopsy I saw was totally accidental. I was not, actually I was being newsy. And when I smelled what I smelt and seen what I did not want, I cannot unsee what I saw. I decided that day that my profession would not be pathology. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, the four primary causes of death today from the records of pathologists, can, uh, uh, heart disease is number one, cancer is number two, corona or COVID-19 is number three, I was surprised by that, and accidents is number four. Now, when we turn our attention to Acts chapter five, as we continue our series, we have learned that we need to assume the position, prayer and praise. We've learned in Acts chapter two that we need to turn the power on. We saw in Acts chapter three that your miracle is just a yes away. We also learned that when you are being stepped on as a Christian, we need to step up for Jesus. And then on last week, we saw at the end of chapter four that the Lord wants us to give to the needy, not the... So Acts chapter five is God supernaturally giving us a glimpse into a pathologist's report. Because in this account of Acts chapter five, two people die suddenly at church, one after the other, the three hour time lapse, and they both ended up buried in the, in the, in the church cemetery. If you were to read God's pathological uh, record as to why Ananias and Sapphira, this married couple, died. The cause of death would not have been heart disease. It would not have been cancer. It would not have been COVID-19. It wouldn't be accidental. The cause of their death would be they played with God's money. And God killed them. Somebody say, don't play with God's money. Mm, it can be fatal. It can be fatal. It can be fatal. We read again in verse 5, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. 
So great fear came upon them all, those who heard these things. And then later in verse 9, it says, uh, Peter speaking to uh, Sapphira, Ananias' wife, who comes into church three hours later. They must have had a long service. It's three hours have passed. They still haven't church. She comes in switching. I, I'm just imagining. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came and they found her dead and carried her out and buried her by her husband. They both died from a condition called don't play with God's money. Now, I want to share just four things with you. And I'm going to start with a peculiar public announcement of a private gift that shows us the contrast between giving with a pure heart and a corrupted heart. There's a peculiar public announcement of something that was normally private and the contrast shows us the difference between having a right motive and a wrong motive. Now, uh, Joseph, uh, we're told in chapter 4, verses 36 through 37, listen to these words. Joseph the Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. And then we start right in verse 1 of chapter 5, but. So while Joseph, the Levite, who was called Barnabas, son of encouragement, sold the proceeds of a property that, he, that belonged to him and he gave the money to the church out of a pure heart, but, <laughs> contrasts. There's something different about the reason why, why, why Ananias and Sapphira gave their offering to the church. And we're going to talk about that. Now, so what's peculiar is about this offering that we read about concerning Barnabas is the normal way for voluntarily giving, it was handled according to what Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and what he says to those who are in the habit, in the practice of giving to the needy and not to the greedy, he says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6 in Matthew, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will, have your, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So, you, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and, in, and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their rewards in full. But listen to verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So the normal way of blessing people that were in need was to do it privately. It was supposed to be done in such a discreet way and so 
under cover, for the lack of a better expression, that uh, Jesus said, if it were possible, your left hand wouldn't know what your right hand was doing. And when you give without trying to be recognized, without trying to be noticed, without trying to have someone pat you on the back, privately to somebody who's really hurting and in need, he says, your heavenly father sees your act of righteousness and he will reward you. That's the normal way to meet the needs of people uh, that are hurting financially. If, if the church does it the right way, when somebody gets in trouble financially, you should never even know it. The only reason you would know about it is because we would say during our, finance, during our, during our church meeting that we gave such and such amount for benevolence. It's supposed to be private. That's the normal way. Now, but just like there's a normal way, and the normal way is voluntarily giving as the Holy Spirit directs you. Uh, but there's also what's called necessary, obligatory giving in the scriptures. And necessary and voluntary giving are different. Voluntary giving has to do with special offerings. Love offerings, they talk about love offerings for the pastor and his wife. We, we have a building campaign that you can contribute to. Sometimes there are urgent needs that may arise in the church. And so as the Lord, as we make that information, as the elders make that information known to you, the deacons make that information known to you, that's a special offering. And the scripture says in, um, in, in 2 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give not grudgingly under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver so when a special need arises if you want to bless the pastor or the assistant pastor or the elders or the deacons and the Lord says don't just shake their hand put something in their hand or send their wife the husband and wife somewhere to have a special meal uh, the, the scripture says, don't give that out of compulsion because it's Pastor Appreciation Month, but give it as you are compelled or directed and moved by the Holy Spirit because God loves a cheerful giver. And so there's some giving in the church that's voluntary. But then there's some giving in the church that's not optional. Uh-oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Mmm. Mm-hmm. So you see, so when it comes to giving in the church, some of us are like the pastor, the Catholic preacher, and, and, and the Protestant preacher. They have been given, for their own personal use, a large sum of money, the, the Protestant preacher and the pastor and, and, and the Catholic preacher. And they were trying to figure out, how much should we give God? How much should we give God? And so the Protestant minister said, here's what we want to give God. We are going to make a big circle and we're going to throw up all the money in the air and what falls in the circle that'll be God's and the Catholics ah no I don't like that idea that don't sound right we're going to make this circle a little smaller then we'll throw all the money up in there and whatever falls into the smaller circle that's what God will the Protestant prayer oh no I don't think that's going to work that doesn't seem fair here's what we'll do 
We'll take all this money and we throw it as high as we can in the air and whatever God catches, that'll be God's. Uh, that's not how it works when it comes to mandatory giving. The normal giving when you're meeting the needs is private, it's as the Spirit of God leads you. But then there's another type of giving called tithing. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, the scripture says, All of the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord. It is holy. It is holy to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. The tithe, the tenth, is sacred. The tithe is not extinct. The tithe has not been abolished. The tithe didn't start with the Decalogue, didn't start with the law, didn't start with the commandments, didn't start with the Levitical ritual system. The tithe that God requires of us preceded the command to the Jews. The Bible says that Abraham gave a tenth to Mount Kizedek. That was prior to the nation of Israel becoming a nation and before God gave the commandments. And so the tithe preceded the law. And he also we see in Matthew's chapter, in Matthew's uh, chapter 23, verse 23, that the, that the tithe continued in the New Testament. And there's nowhere in the New Testament where the Lord says that he decided that no, the tithe was no longer required. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. The tithe is commanded and has promises connected to it. You've heard this, Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. You say, well, in what way have we robbed God? And the prophet says, in tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And here's the command. Bring all of the tithes into the house. And God said, test me, try me in this. And see if I will not open up, not a window in heaven. But he said, see if I, here's the, the promised blessing. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. So tithing, unlike voluntary special offerings, is mandatory. God says, if you're not tithing, then he says, you're cursed with a curse. I will withhold my blessings from you. That's scripture. And so again, what makes the passage peculiar in, 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 in Acts chapter 5 is that in most instances, there's never any mention of the individual that makes the contribution. This is an exception, and there are other exceptions in the scriptures you read in the book of Nehemiah, where there's a list of every tribe, and specific details are given about what each tribe contributed. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it talks about, and the leaders gave to the building of the house of God, and when the folks in the church knew that the leaders were tithers, that the leaders were giving a special offering for the building of the work of the, of, the, of the house of God. The Bible says that the entire church, the entire nation of Israel celebrated. And so the leaders were singled out. The tribes individually were singled out. 
And we see in Acts chapter 4 that Barnabas was singled out. His name is actually mentioned. What is, what's not mentioned is how much he gave. What is very clear that he didn't give it in order to be recognized. What is also implied is that the nature of the gift was so significant that it stood out from all of the other gifts because the Bible says that others also took their possessions and sold them, but the only one that got mentioned was Barnabas. In fact, the first time we read about Barnabas is, in this, is connected to his gift to the church. He, gave, he had two gifts to the church. The gift of what it, his finance, the gift of giving, where he gave a portion, uh, he gave the amount of the properties that he sold, and he was a son of encouragement. What's interesting, when you study about his background from Cyprus, he was wealthy. So this was not just a couple dollars. He gave a very large offering, and it wasn't wrong for the church to acknowledge the uniqueness of the gift that he gave. My question is, what work that associated with you in your church, in your call from God, would cause anybody to take time to notice? Is there any ministry that you're doing that anybody could attach a name? They attach the name encouragement to Barnabas because the way he served in the church built other people up. I wonder if there's something about the ministry that God, first of all, do you even know the ministry? Do you know the call of God in your life? Do you understand the gifts that God has given? The scripture said that every one of us has been given at least one gift. And when you are serving and using your gifts, you're not doing it. The, the purpose of using your gift is not for ego tripping, not for recognition, but it, the Bible says that it might profit the body, that it might build up the body. But as you are building up the body, what happens is people will be, will, be, will be caused to recognize God at work in you. Is that your testimony? What was peculiar is that the scriptures normally will not tell you who gave what they gave. But in this instance, it was so unusual. It was so generous that God says, I'm going to put in my book for eternity the name Barnabas. Because he was willing to sell property to bless those less fortunate than him. That was peculiar. I wonder if one of the things that God will do as you know that you're growing spiritually, as you know that you're being that person, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet the life that I now live, I live in the power, the now that I live in the flesh, I live in the power of the one who loved me and gave himself. How do you know you've been crucified with Christ? One of the ways that you know that you're dying to yourself and becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more alive to him, the Bible says wherever your treasure is, that will, the more you love Jesus, the more you'll be given to Jesus. Oh, help me, Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We're not going to be thinking, how little can I give? but how much I can give. And it's not how much you give, it's how you give with what, how you give from what God has given you. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. So the normal way, if you gave something and we don't announce your name, we're, we're doing what the scriptures say we should do. Amen. So well, when I give to the church, I don't want to keep a record. Well, the Bible, God keeps records. Yes. God is not the author of confusion. 
Everything God does, he said, do it with decency and order. So one of the ways that we can get a loan to have a building in Middletown is that the bank ain't going to say, you guys look like some nice folks down there. And I really like the way you come to church every weekend. Some of you either uh, have jobs in the area. And, man, you must be okay because you wouldn't be able to live over. No, no, no. They're going to say, show us your books. Who's your treasurer? You know, how have you been paying your bills? And how are you going to do that? You got to have records. That's why we give you envelopes. Put the money in the envelope so we can keep a record so the bank can say they have people that consistently give. Thank God that the pandemic didn't put us out of business. In fact, our giving grew. Somebody say amen. Oh, there are a lot of churches that have closed their doors. We don't talk about money here, but nor did we talk about sex a lot. But I was sharing with the brothers today. The Bible has more to say about money than it says about heaven and hell combined. Because the Bible says that the love of money drives folk crazy is the root of all kinds of evil. Somebody say amen. Now, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira, they heard about Barnabas's gift. They, they, they saw the recognition and, and the, 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 the attachment of certain special beings, a son of encouragement. And so they decided, but, but, Barn, but, but Ananias and Sapphira, we got to get, get a piece of this spotlight. We, we got to get some recognition. We got to get our names on the pews. And so the Bible said, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira sold his possession, their possession. They agreed to do that, and they kept, here's the problem, they kept back a part of the proceeds. His wife was also aware of. They were in cahoots together. The problem of prideful giving can cause us to play with God's money. Now, here, here's the pride. Here's the pride issue. We forget to remember, we misremember, that everything that we have belongs to the Lord. It came from him. The earth is the Lord. And the fullness thereof and everything that dwells therein. David said, therefore, bless the Lord. Be, I, I want to bless the Lord before the entire assembly. Blessed are you, O Jehovah Elohim of Israel, the father forever and ever. He says, for O Lord, O Jehovah, you are the greatness, you are the power, you are the glory, victory and majesty is yours for all that is in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, O God. And then he says at the end of the verse, in verse 14, he says, for all things come from you, and of your hands, you have given it to us. I talked to you about the illustration, and my mother would give us uh, money to go get her a Christmas gift. She would give us money to buy her a gift. It was her money. I spend it all, not on her. Take that $5 and go buy her a gift. And then I bring the gift back, 
And she said, oh, you didn't. You really, she had so surprised. She would be so happy, so appreciative. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I picked it out myself. And I, and I didn't need any, need any help. And it was $4.99, and I got a penny left. I'm just so happy. And the money was never mine. It was hers. Isn't it how God does us? He gives you health. He gives you life. He gives you strength. And then he says, all I want from you is a tenth. And then we give God back the tenth, the tenth that already belongs to him. And then we act like we've done something for God. Everything that I have, the breath that I'm breathing right now, comes from the Lord. The strength that I have. Remember, it all belongs in pride will get this thing twisted. You're looking at those those digits on your bank account. You're checking out your 401k and you're getting ready to vote on people because of inflation. You're getting ready to vote on people because you got to pay a little. You you crazy. You you, you we all we, we, oh, we I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm sorry. But we all we the, the God of America is money. We just nearly got overthrown January 6th, and we're on the brink of another civil war. All we care about is a couple extra pennies. David said, I've been young and I'm old, but I have never. You, we quote this all the time. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. We need to also, we need to remember that it all come, uh, uh, Ananias and Fire got, Sapphira got that confused. They thought that it was really theirs. And that God wasn't calculating from heaven. God doesn't somehow see your bank account. He knows your secret stash. There's nothing hidden from him. If you ascend, take the wings of an eagle and to sit in a dove and you ascend into heaven, God is there. If you somehow were able to make up a bed, set some schedule, and get a, get a, uh, get, 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 get a, a penthouse in hell, God said, even there, I'm, I'll be there. There's nothing hidden from him. We need to resist making false pledges. Telling people what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you. You know you're not praying. Talking about I'm going to start tithing. You've been talking about that 10 for 10 years. You haven't done it yet. Well, when I get a little bit more, no. The Bible says he who is faithful over little things, a few things. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, 23 says, If you make a vow to the Lord, a pledge to God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and, and of sin you will be guilty. It's a sin to promise, to pledge, to vow something to God and fail to pay it. It's a, it's a, so don't make a commitment that you're not going to keep. Don't tell God, I'm going to give the church this, or I'm going to give the church that, or I'm going to start doing this, and I'm going to do that. And you know that's not true. Let me finish this. It says, but if you refrain from making a vow, it will, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do it. Your word should be your bond, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth and he kept back 
Ananias said, I gave it all. We didn't hold anything back. God didn't tell me he had to give it all. But if you say that you are going to give it all, that's a vow. That's a pledge. And God certainly will collect on his debts. He may be slow to collect, but there's every debt you owe, we will pay. Somebody say amen. amen. We see, too, that recognizing, recognizing seeking special acknowledgement for what you give is an evidence of pride. They simply wanted to be seen. They simply wanted to be recognized. God never asks you to give what you don't have. How are you going to give property, the proceeds of a property, and you don't own the one you have? God is not going to tell you, if you send me your rent money, your tuition money, your baby's food money, that I'm going to take what you sent, God told me to tell you to give me so I can get me a better car, a nicer house, and I'm going to take and send you a cloth that I got down at Walmart and put some perfume on it now. I dumped it in. I think the Jordan's empty now because of the pandemic. They may not be. And then you send your rent money. You can't pay your bills, but you went out and maxed out your credit card to look like, look like what you're going to be. Look like what you're going to be, and that's called repossession. That's called broke. That's called you, 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 you. The Bible says, oh, no, man, don't be buying what you can't pay for. You may look prosperous, but you're looking prosperous for the wrong people. Man looks at the outward appearance. They were given out of pride to be recognized. I just read where a 13-year-old girl stole her grandmother's half of her life's savings. She stole $13,000 from her grandma, and she took it to school, and she started giving out $100 bills. Yeah, I had a son that used to pay people to be his friend. <laughs> yeah, he stayed broke. Uh, how many of you know that when you take something that belongs to others and give it away or use it for yourself, what is that called? It's stealing. It's stealing. When you take what God has given you that belongs to him and you use it for your own personal benefit, you are playing with God's money. We're playing with God's money. We say we don't have, but we can go wherever we want to go. Some of us are going to be going to the World Series when the Phillies win tonight. You're going to figure out how to pay that $1,000 for a seat up in the nosebleed section. And if the game don't go the way it should, some one of those Phillies fans may knock you in the head. And that ain't them knocking you. That's a Holy Spirit saying you shouldn't be here with using God's money to be watching the Phillies. Now, here's the, what's deep. You can come to me, come to the elders, to assistant pastor, and you can look us dead in the eye and say, I gave it all to you. I gave everything that I got. Is right. Here it is. Laid it at the apostles' feet. What pride will blind you to is when you lie, you're lying to God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. He says, 
Why have you contrived with the devil to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man. You have lied to God. When we lie, nobody may ever catch you, but you're lying and God knows it's a lie. It's a lie again to God. It's not just a lie to the other person. Now, the question is, how did Peter know? Are there times when somebody is looking you in the eye and smiling, just like, you know, when your kid, they come to you, did you do that? No, daddy. Did you do that? And you see the crumbs. <laughs> you see the jelly all over the clothes. But more than that, a discerning parent can look at that child and say, you're lying. And if the child has a tender heart, they're going to start crying. Now they're trying to manipulate the situation. <laughs> Lying usually gets you spanked. Peter knew because sometimes the Holy Spirit will give you a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit will give you discernment. You may not say to that person, you know they're lying through their teeth, but you don't say that I was getting ready to buy a car. My wife we went through like seven different places looking for cars. You know I love my wife. Oh my goodness, we went to seven different places. Oh, driving and finally got to a place. I'm gonna get we're gonna get a Ford SUV. We're about to get this during the pandemic, everybody wearing the mask. As soon as that dude took that mask off, I said, no, sir, we're not buying the car. <laughs> he was lying. I just saw it in his face. And I did some more homework, and I saw that the car wasn't what he said it was. It wasn't true. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will just show you this person is lying to you. Peter said, you have not lied to me. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is, when is the last time you saw somebody come up to the offering plate and they just fall out dead? You know, should you maybe not give an offering if you can fall out and die and end up? We don't have a, I, I would never pass a church that has a cemetery connected to it. I'm sorry. We're not doing that. Oh, no, 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 no. I work at hospice down in Wilmington, and the thing that they put the, 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 the wing of the hospice right across from the cemetery. When you look out the window, guess what you see? The graveyard. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So, um, why did God deal with Ananias and Sapphira so severely? Well, when you go, when you get a chance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul hears about a particular sin in that church. And the leadership knows that a man is involved in an incestuous relationship with his mother, his stepmother. He's having sex with them, come to church every Sunday. You know, just everybody knows about it, but the leadership is cool. We ain't no, we, that's their business, what people do behind closed doors. Who you love is who you love. And Paul says, you're boasting. Your comfort level with sin is not good. He says, this is what you should do. In the authority that Jesus gives the leadership of the church, cast that person out. Oh, put somebody out of church. The worst thing you can do is says, excommunicate them. Let the door hit them where the good Lord. I didn't say that. There's a time when people refuse to repent from their sin. 
And they're rubbing it in the face of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says that the sin of homosexuality had risen into the nostrils of God. And he found it to be an abomination. And he came to a place where he says, that's enough. Now watch this. In verse 7 it says, don't you understand a little sin in the church that you know about that is public and you do nothing about can destroy the whole church. There's certain public sins that if the church is involved and we know about it and the leadership does nothing about it, we don't want to make anybody angry. We don't want to get sued. We may have to get sued, but let God be true and every man a liar. So he dealt with Ananias and Sapphira so severely because this was the first time anybody in this new church ever tried to pervert the work of God. This was a perversion. If they had gotten away with it, a little leaven could have stopped the church from ever becoming what it is today. Jesus said, it's my church. I'm going to build. I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell. No Ananias and Sapphira will destroy my church. And so sometimes when the sin is so great, God will do this kind of judgment. I believe that what God is doing to America and in the world today, the sin of the nations is so great, he's drying up rivers. God is causing temperatures and earthquakes and famines. and God is judging us. We just don't realize it. Let me, let me run on. Now, does God still kill people when they won't repent? My answer is yes. Let me share some areas where God will do what he did to Ananias and Sapphira. Sexual sin that is public. The Lord said to the church leadership at Corinth, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day. This is a Christian he didn't say that the woman, the woman's not, they didn't say do anything to the woman, but for somebody who's a professing Christian who's involved in sexual sin that is public, there are times when God says, you are being turned over to Satan, the hedge of protection that comes from being associated with the church, I've taken away. Then there's personal sin that we refuse to repent of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, he said, For this reason, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you I have taken out of the world. You sleep, you're dead. I, I, I put the final notice on your door, and you're dead because there are areas in your life where when I said let a man examine himself, you chose not to examine yourself. You continue to practice that particular sin, whatever it is. You habitually practice and you genuinely save, but because you won't repent, the Lord says, some of you. I have prematurely taken out of this world. Here's another instance, doctrinal sin. When you get a chance in James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, he says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring you back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from error, from doctrinal error, the error of their way will save him from death. Because love covers a multitude of sin. There's some, the, the sin of the churches today is doctrinal. We have turned, the Bible says, in the last days, men and women will not endure sound doctrine. They reject the truth of the Bible and they're preaching prosperity. They're preaching stuff that will line their pockets. 
Christians are coming to church and they don't even open the Bible, not even pretending that they're going to preach from the Bible. And so when, when somebody falls into doctrinal error and they refuse to be corrected, they become a danger to the church. And the Lord said, that's the sin unto death. There's some people who will die because of doctrinal error, misinterpreting the Bible and teaching other people false doctrine. Here's the last one. And there may be others. This is what I'm calling provocational sin. And so there's sexual sin, personal sin, doctrinal sin, provocational sin is when you deliberately reject the word of God, when the Bible says, harden not your heart. The day of salvation is today. Escape judgment. There are people who deliberately harden their heart to the word. They refuse to obey it. They're saved, but they just decide, God took my son. And so I'm going to do the way, whatever I want to do, God, I'm angry with you. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm put my, I'm going to talk bad about you. I'm going to talk bad about the church. I'm going to live any kind of way I want to. They've hardened their hearts and they deliberately are operating out of a spirit of rebellion. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 8 through 15, you can read also in chapter 6, that God will take you out of this world for hardening your heart. That's provocation. That means that you decided to pick a fight with God. How many of you know that God never lives, loses a fight that you pick with him? Doctrinal, provocational, sexual, personal. Let me give you some practical examples. Ananias and Sapphira died on the spot. I believe that that could happen in the church today. I really believe that. It depends on the presence of God in that church and how, how seriously we are about honoring God in our, in our walk before him, that God is not going to allow the church to be destroyed because someone refuses to repent. Now watch this. Here's some practical lessons. Start giving God what is required. That's how you stop playing with God's money. Give him what is required. Give God the tithe. Set his aside. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Oh, Elder, thank you. God's God. One, one amen. One amen. amen. Start giving God what is required. Are you doing that? Well, do whatever you have, you should be giving a tithe from it. Not, it should be the gross, not the net. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Sincerely pray about giving a sacrificial offering as the Holy Spirit leads you. Are there people that God puts on your heart that you should just pick up the phone and say, look, I'm doing this for you today. Pray about it. You don't know what that might mean to that person's walk in the, with the Lord. Let me run on. Stand on the promises of God when it comes to giving. God said, I will bless you. I will pour out. Has he ever broken a promise? The hardest thing for me to do was to trust God with my money. Excuse me, his money. But when I did, I used to drop hoopties. And one day, a Fred Barnett former wide receiver of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. He was a student in my class. He and his wife came every Sunday. They saw my Bible was ragged. They brought me a brand new Bible. They'd come over to the house and bring jerseys for the kids. And, you know, I had church at the house. All of the kids would know that Fred Barnett was over, and he would bring all of these, all these Eagle jerseys, et cetera. 
And one day he drove by unexpected. He says, get in the car. I said, where are we going? So we get in this car, and he goes up to Allen Lane off of uh, Lincoln Drive, and we just get in the car. And he says, wait out. He parks out in front of a bank, and he comes out with $5,000. He says, I want you to get your car. You're not coming back to church with what you're driving in. That's after I agreed to tithe. That's after I surrendered to the Lord in that area. I had every excuse under the sun why I wasn't tithing. Finally, stop lying to yourself and God about personal sin. We're talking about giving, but it was the lie that killed them. I want you to know that we don't tell, when we don't tell the truth about to ourselves, we are deceiving ourselves and pushing ourselves further and further away from what God has called us to do, and we are running into divine judgment. Stop lying. Stop lying. Decide today to be a truth teller. We are surrounded by lies. You know who to trust. The truth doesn't even matter anymore, it seems. But God honors the truth. God honors the truth. Stand with me. Don't play with God's money. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Today, you're no longer a child when it comes to giving. Today, you can put away childish things. Today, you know from what you were taught that you don't want to play with God's money because it can cost you your life. Put away childish things. Don't play with what belongs to God. Let us pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we bow in your presence. Holy Spirit, I ask that whatever it is, in our lives that is not like you. May we not look at others and, and use that as an excuse as to this is why I am the way that I am. God, Holy Spirit, cause us to know that each one of us, we're going to give an account for how we responded, not for what was done to us. God, the Holy Spirit, right now move upon the hearts of your people that we would be courageous enough, bold enough, determined and committed enough to stand flat-footed on your word and tell a dying world that Christ, Christ, the risen Savior, can satisfy them in such a way that they will never, ever thirst again. Father, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say amen. amen. In 1972, the greatest thing that ever happened in my life occurred. It started with an argument I was the president of a Christian group. We were having Bible study, and we were arguing about whether women could wear pants or earrings, and they have to wear blouses that came to their wrist. And we went on for about two hours. And as I watched, I could see that people that weren't Christians, one by one, they left the room. And by the time 
the disputing had ended. It was just our group, quote unquote, Christians. And a woman named Norma Anderson, who was a overseer of that ministry at Cheney, she told us to follow her, and we followed her, and we went to the student union building. We got a private room, and she just said, individually, you all need to pray. So as I began to pray, I'm a president of a Christian group. I wasn't saved. I was a good sinner on, a way, on my way to a bad place called hell. I was a church member. I was a walking deacon, whatever that means. I was walking. And on that night, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I needed to accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Say, I didn't know the, I know how to be sophisticated. I said, save me. And I just felt the power of God just come all over me and I began to just weep. From that moment on, I have never been the same. The Lord saved me when I cried out. I don't know if you've ever cried out and acknowledged that you were sinned. I was at the bed of a man who was dying and he said, how can he always such a blessing? Tell me how. You don't have to wait until you're on your deathbed. I can tell you how right now. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Savior from your sins. Savior. The one who rose from the dead, the run who is seated at the right hand of God. Would you trust that Jesus? The Bible says if you say with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. What happens when you get saved, you become a brand new creation from the outside, from the inside out. From the inside out. Is there anyone that would say yes to Jesus? Is there anyone that want to trust the Jesus that changed me? My greatest testimony of the power of the gospel is my life. The Lord changed me. He changed me. Is there one that would raise their hand? Maybe you're watching as our online church. Thank you. See that hand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Actually, that was false along with that hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think Sister Jack is saved. Amen. Praise God. Is there someone else? Is there someone else? If you're watching, you can pray that same prayer. Now join me as we prepare to close today in a word of prayer. I'm asking that you would join me as uh, I preach this afternoon and lift me up at about 3.30 that the Lord would use me to encourage the pastor during his anniversary. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for each person that is standing to the right or to the left of us. Father, may we never underestimate the value of a smile May we never underestimate the preciousness of coming together in a place like this. Something happens when the children of God come together, where two or three are gathered together in his name.
Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you minister to us. Thank you, God, that you are at work. You have moved the scales from our eyes today. You have lifted our spirit, oh God. You have renewed our mind. Oh God, we just want somebody ought to thank him right now. Has he renewed your mind? Have you felt an inner strength that comes from being in the presence of other Christians? God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, whom alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power. Somebody said both now and forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap. Give the Lord a hand clap. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You are dismissed from this place, but never the Lord's presence. Amen. Amen. Thank you.